This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcode.com. Welcome to Night Float, a series from the Short Code Podcast in the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine that explores what it means and how to be a resident physician. Uh, with me today are Aaron Hankey, one of our amazing medical student counselors at the Carver College of Medicine. Aaron, welcome. Hello, thank you. Uh, well, you're welcome. Uh, also, we are lucky to have R2, Desiree Christensen. That's resident two, right? Second year yes, resident. Yes, second year resident. Uh, and R1, Matt Maves. Hello. Uh, Matt is uh, fresh off the intern year, so that's kind of uh, useful to know um, for listeners, or still in the intern year, I guess. Correct. Um, welcome to Night Float. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. To, to our audience, as you listen today, we want to issue an engraved invitation before we start. This is your show. We want your questions, your comments, and your needs to play a big part in shaping what it is we're doing. So send your thoughts anytime to theshortcoats at gmail.com or, or you can leave us a message at 347-SHORT-CT. We guarantee that we will address them on the show um, as long as they're not totally weird well maybe if they are totally it, weird. It, it, we might <laughs> even yeah. better yeah we might Aaron you brought the idea of the show to me what uh what's your vision what do you what are we trying to accomplish anyway from a counseling perspective we work day in and day out to try to be supportive of students and one of the areas that we want folks to have information and support is in the, the career process whether that's the the decision-making process of what type of doctor do I want to be to how do I get the job that I want to even more importantly how do we find some sort of balance between life and work and live in fulfilled ways so we, we're going to the experts the people who are living the residents life and uh, trying to get some wisdom and guidance that can supplement all of the things that people can read about or discuss with counselors or even talk with their career advisors about. What do you guys think? Does that sound like a reasonable, a reasonable idea for a show? I think we can accomplish some of those. All right. We're going to do our best. Do you, would, is this something that you might have liked to have heard uh, when you were... Considering residency or thinking about uh, what it is you were going to do with your lives? <laughs> Desiree, it, like, not really. It's nice to hear different perspectives sometimes. I mean, you, I feel like you you hear the the one view a lot of times, and people, I feel like, tend to cherry pick which ones they want and which whatever one fits their lifestyle anyway. But sometimes it's nice to hear what someone else did and what worked for them. And hopefully, if you like that one, it works out for you. Yeah, I think... I was always trying to look ahead and there's a lot of uncertainty and so you do try to find information to help with that and it's hard to find good resources to really know career decisions, how to make that decision, also what your life is going to look like. So I think more information the better would have, I would have preferred that. Mm -hmm. 
do you remember were there particular sources that you looked at that were like you know you know high yield things now that you look back on it oh shoot what's the name of that uh uh, Doximity. Doximity. Mm-hmm. That's the one. Mm-hmm. That one was like super simple. Yeah. It was not, it, arguably it didn't have the most information, but it, it organized things in a, in a pretty easy to use way where you could organize it based upon geography, based upon some, I'm not sure what they used for their ranking system for like how good quote unquote a program was, but they tried to like rank it on prestige. Um, and also I think they would rank it on average pass rate for board scores and maybe I think you could sort it by size of residency as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that one was pretty nice and easy to use and it was a good place to at least start to be like, these are the programs in the area I want to look at, or these are the programs of the size I want to look at. And then you could go from there and, uh, try and get some better information from other sources. Yeah, it was a useful way to sort through and you could compare programs. There was a feature to do that. You have to be careful because some of the information is outdated. So then you'd have to go on to the program websites. And so it can be a very time consuming process to try to get accurate information about what you're doing. And then the difficult part, if you because I, I think the, probably the most accurate, the most up-to-date, and the most complete information is going to be from the program. Unfortunately, it's going to look... I, I feel like every program is going to try and put their best foot forward on their website. And so the information, I, I think, sometimes may be skewed towards a little bit more positive at times. And also, a lot of the websites aren't super easy to navigate. <laughs> so sometimes it's difficult to find the information that you want to find. I did occasionally email programs and had some mixed success with that because sometimes they'd say, oh, well, we'll just give you some information at your interview. And I was, my thought was, I'd like to come to your interview knowing a little bit more about your program. Um, Maybe that sends a message in and of itself. I think if you are particularly interested in not only a program, but you are interested in a, interested in a particular area within that program, I think it's worthwhile getting a hold of, like, let's say you wanted to do, I'm doing PEDS right now, and say I wanted to do uh, PEDS cardiology or PEDS endo to reach out to them and say, hey, is there someone from your program that I can talk to about, you know, that particular specialty? And so you can get a better idea of what they are doing in that subspecialty of your specialty. Um, I mean, that I know some people that did stuff like that, and they, they felt, I think they felt like they got a better idea of, if this program was going to deliver some of the things that they wanted. Did either of you use Frida? I did. Um, How did that compare to Doximity? Uh, as, along with Doximity, I thought it was a little outdated. I didn't think that it was organized quite as well. Um, is Frida like something like Doximity? I mean, is it some sort of website or app? What, what are we talking about? It's like a, a database of residency okay. programs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or is she just a lady who knows things? I mean, you know, that could be too. <laughs> I, I think Frida gave like uh, average board scores, but they would give these ranges. And I think they used like the 25th to 75th percentile or something. And I'm not sure if it was even from a recent year, but it wasn't super helpful because you're like, well, I think most people fall in between this range that they're giving right now. So does that mean that I stand a chance or don't stand a chance? I don't, I don't know. Um, so, so I hear that you went to the, some of the, the resources and you were thinking about how to prepare for the interviews. 
Um, I'm wondering, were there other things that you did in order to get ready for the residency interviews? I, I mean, I don't know if I went about it how most people do. I had a lot of interviews that were research oriented too, because I had a lot of research background. I typically wanted to be well informed about programs I was interviewing at, um, looking up faculty, different aspects of the program. And then when I interviewed with a lot of people who were doing research, I would look up what their research was about, some of their papers, so that I was well informed when I went into my interviews. Typically, would, I would know ahead of time who I was interviewing with. I felt like that was very helpful because I had more informed questions. I also carried around a list of questions that I had made for each program in case, because they will always ask you, and I think you need to have a question when they ask you, because it's kind of expected. You can't just say, nope, I'm good. (laughs) So I would pull out my list if I was having trouble thinking what all my questions were. And I actually think that made me look prepared and and I could and then I would take notes like I actually cared what they were saying even though sometimes it was just having a question Um, so that was some of the ways that I prepared and felt like my interviews I could direct them a little bit better I wasn't just going in ill-prepared I could actually navigate the interview the way I wanted it to go Um, so I felt like more comfortable and like they went better I would second the having a list of questions. Um, I'm trying to remember back. I'm pretty sure that I had one for my very first one to start off because I knew that it was I was going to need them. I'm I don't feel like I'm particularly great at uh, thinking of things like that on the on the fly. So um, having the list of questions, I don't think anyone would fault a person for having something in front of them if anything i agree i think it maybe makes you look more professional because you have like this fancy binder of some sort in front of you or fancy you look like a like a like a trapper keeper I think. legitimate <laughs> le- legitimate uh adult oh okay wandering yeah. around in your suit so. and <laughs> use it like pulling your pen out of your uh coat pocket or something you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. It adds a little something yeah yeah and then you could pretend to like scribble some stuff down yeah no i've been i think i usually <laughs> did have a sheet from each one because it was good to it was sometimes it's good to reference back after you do interviews to actually be able to say mm-hmm. like oh these these programs i liked for x y and z um what were what were the interviews actually like Oh, that varied that varied greatly. Um, so, the questions came in handy for some people because occasionally you would end up with the interviews. Usually, for for peds at least, varied between about ten minutes to thirty minutes. Usually, they were they were like fifteen twenty, somewhere around somewhere around that. But uh, every once in a while, you'd end up with a thirty minute interview, and instead of the person starting off with any sort of chit chat, they would just say. What questions do you have? And I would start asking questions, and some people would give, you know, detailed answers and go from there. And other people would just give very quick, couple-word answers and be like, "Next question." And I, it it makes it very challenging to just ask forty or fifty questions on the fly like that. So, <laughs> Dude, was that? Were they doing that on purpose? Was it just a bad interviewer? <laughs> I, I don't know. A very okay. direct interviewer. Yeah. Um, some of them, I, I went to one 
and I think I, she, I think she was a, a, a palliative lady. And so basically the whole interview was her telling me how wonderful I was and how she just really enjoyed my personal statement. And I think we talked about cooking um, Indian food mm-hmm. and dogs. So that was maybe one of my more enjoyable interview experiences because I didn't actually have to think about talking at all. It was literally just a conversation. And I'm not sure if she liked that or disliked that, but I found I found it to be a great experience. I would second that it can be highly variable, at least in psychiatry. I think as a typical rule, especially probably in the Midwest, I don't know about the coast, most of it's just trying to make sure that you have information about the program to know whether you'd want to go there. And then also they want to just kind of assess if you're can interact and you're a normal-ish type person. And so a lot of it could be conversational. Um, Certainly like with some of my more research focused ones, we talked a lot more about research interests. And, but a lot of times it was conversational, just um, kind of talking about the area, things that, you know, like my family or my interests, how that would fit into moving into a different area. Yeah, because you have children. I have a daughter, yeah. You have a daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a husband. You have a family. I have a family that weighed heavily into what I was going to do. And um, interviews typically were 30 minutes, if not a little bit longer for me. A lot of times that you know, seemed very short for me. I can tend to talk with people for a while. And it was, I mean, certainly there's some people who aren't as good at interviewing are harder to talk with, and then it can be a little bit more painful. Mm. And if you're having a whole day of it, it can get kind of repetitive. But most of the time I thought it was enjoyable, um, mostly just trying to see if they would try to sell the area a little bit, um, try to get to know you, uh, and then to answer questions. Um, so it was variable in that it wasn't necessarily highly structured. The more difficult ones, um, kind of what has already been talked about, is when they don't really have anything prepared and then you're completely guiding it, which has its pros and cons, but. Yeah, um, I think that uh, a, a big part of it as well is they typically typically will have looked at your personal statement and taken a look at your CV and will try and um, fish out some of the activities that you did while in medical school um, and then we'll occasionally even ask you about your hobbies so I think it's good to make sure that when you're filling that stuff out that you actually are wanting to talk about some of that stuff and it's not just oh mm-hmm. this was something that I did one weekend and I don't I don't really even remember what happened I know that uh, one of my friends um, we used to do uh, an 80s movies night every every Sunday night and so they they were all worried about like oh should I put this down I was like I'm putting it down don't don't worry about it and it got talked about almost every single time people just <laughs> loved that like and it was such an easy thing to talk about so then of course they have to like ask you your your favorite ones and so then of course you know, I mean like Princess Bride is up there of course yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but uh, but that was that was great to, to have something like that to talk about but you if you're gonna if you're going to put it down on your resume, just be prepared to talk about it and potentially talk about it in depth. So, Yeah, those the hobbies are more important than you would think. So actually, our program director here in psychiatry um, 
there's a little profile made about each resident and there's a ceremony when we we come into the program and so those all get listed out and talked about at that ceremony so they follow you so <laughs> don't think a little bit about those hobbies you list down okay yeah if you're if you're a big hobby is taxidermy you know, that might work <laughs> yeah, if do you're you a pathologist talk about it or not? but you know <laughs> uh this is this is all great stuff and 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 i'm really glad you brought up the thing about the hobbies um and the activities because i've suspected this for a long time i mean i think it's about connecting with the person that you're the people that you're talking to it's it's basically like it's almost like the talking about the weather you know like it's a Mm -hmm. universal thing you know people have hobbies people and and people enjoy talking about their hobbies you know so i your advice about you know putting stuff down using those things but also using the ones that you're passionate about or that you know a lot about or whatever that right there is is like interview gold it can be interesting to to bring up past experiences that wouldn't have gotten brought up otherwise mm-hmm. um kind of like my hiking one i could connect to doing some ecology based research and doing this bushwhacking and goat prairies in northeast iowa so that's an interesting thing to talk about that differentiates you so they really can be pretty strategic. Yeah, and that's the other reason to do it is because you know it, it helps them remember you mm-hmm. potentially. I'm wondering what if anything was unexpected for either of you during the interview process. How um, much food you had? To, you had to eat a lot. Of food. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've heard you like you, you know. You, so you show up for your like. Let's say you're you're so interviewing out of town. Like you you go to that city. And probably you get there the day before, mm-hmm. um, and you have a dinner. You have a dinner with the residents. You're trying to fish out what they're like, if you'd want to work with them. And they're doing the same. And I think that inter- like those are really important. Like you should go to those. It helps you figure out what the program environment is like. And there were some I was like, I don't think I could see myself fitting here. Mm-hmm. And that's helpful to know. Um, but yeah, they pay for all this food. It's usually like three courses. And then interview day, you're getting like breakfast and lunch and snacks and it's a lot of food. You're almost worried you're not going to you're going to have to buy a second suit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they serve things like uh, spaghetti, which is always good for your white shirt. They usually serve really good food. Yeah. <laughs> but it can be messy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that dinner. So I went I went to a lot of interviews where you the night before you go to the dinner and you maybe would only have three quarters of the people that you had the next day because people are trying to get as many interviews as they can in, and it makes it a lot more difficult if you go to these dinners and then go because then you need basically two days, and some people are trying to just like knock out like four in a week or something. Um, and uh, so I, these are option. These are optional. I mean, they are mm-hmm. they are optional. Speaking. Technically, but, yeah. But I do think that it probably plays a bigger role than most applicants think. Yeah. Because they do like resident input on mm-hmm. the the people that are coming in. Yeah. Uh, having not been able to go to one as a resident yet, I I will defer to you on how important it is. Yeah. So I 
get involved with that now as a resident, which is an interesting perspective to have because you're on the other side of it. A little intimidating, too, to think about how much you are somewhat being judged at those interactions. And the anxiety Um, level just went way up. So you kind of had, you know, that little bit of ignorance about it going into it. But then now on the other side, um, we do fill out um, reviews of the different applicants that we encountered and any concerns. And then we have a meeting, it's I believe in January, where they're doing their rank listing. And the resident input is really important in that. So I do think that that's probably similar at a lot of programs. I can only speak for how that gets done here. But a lot of how you um, get that feedback from residents are those dinners, certainly during the day, the interview day, you're interacting with residents as well. But residents have a large input in their programs, I think, as a general rule. And they are the people that are going to be working with you. And they're they're also looking for people that they want to work with. They think who will fit and they will have some cohesion um, in the incoming class. Yeah, I mean, I do I do think that a, a big part of it, at least in my mind, not being on a selection committee ever um, is that the. You know, your, your grades and your resume are what get you the interview, but the interview is what gets you the job. Um, I mean, I'm sure that they, if you talk to someone here in, uh, in a residency administration role, they could give you a better breakdown of how it goes. And it probably varies a little bit by program because different programs are looking for different things. But, um, yeah, no, I, I think that uh, a big part of it is going to be the... Uh, impression that you make on the residents since they will be your coworkers, and so they're, they're going to be the ones who are going to be working 80 hour work weeks with you um so if they feel that they can't tolerate you it's <laughs> they're going to be, be like it's uh, going to be pretty tough yeah, yeah. <clears throat> how did you get keep track of the different interview experiences as you were on the interview trail so I I was maybe not quite as organized as some people that I've talked to so mine was basically each time I would go to a program, I would have you know my list of questions written down that I wanted to ask that program, um, and then I would try and just jot down a couple things. Usually, it, it didn't it didn't always make sense afterwards because I'm trying to listen to the person mm-hmm. that's interviewing me, and not necessarily spend all my time just writing. Uh, so sometimes it'd be like random words that later I'd look at and I didn't remember what they were. <laughs> but um, so mine wasn't the best. But then at least I had like a sheet of like these I felt were the things that I really liked about this program. Um, I've talked to other people that were much more systematic about it where afterwards they came up with like a spreadsheet and they would actually, they had like point systems assigned to various aspects of programs, similar to how I've heard sometimes people rate restaurants and stuff. Um, and, um, to a certain extent, I feel like most of them still said in the end, they kind of said screw it and they just went mm-hmm. with whatever they felt was the program they liked the best and didn't and they maybe would fudge the numbers so <laughs> this all sounds very med student-y <laughs> from my from my perspective what i about? ended up only interviewing at six programs so it was easy to keep track of those mm-hmm. experiences and um i had 
certain things that were important to me. I did, I looked up a lot on research funding of different psychiatric programs, their size, and then you have an overall feel with going to the dinners and interacting with the residents. But I think ultimately, and this is what uh, my current program director often indicates, is that location is just a huge factor for people. I think that may vary depending on a you know an applicant's circumstances, but certainly if you have other people like a family to consider, it's usually where your spouse will tolerate going, and that becomes a you know higher. It's hard to assign that a number. It just is what it is. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I wonder. Like, I, I it makes sense to me that you know if you have a spouse, if you have a family, you know, you have to take that into account. Um, I wonder for other folks who don't have that consideration, if you're just focused more on the program and less on the location, because really how much time do you have to experience, you know, the city that you're in personally? So I think, I think that, uh, people are in, in just talking to my single friends that have gone on to residency now, they did, I feel like apply a little more broadly than a lot of the ones that were uh, married or in um, committed relationships where they were pretty sure that their significant other was going to be with them or at least potentially in the future with them because sometimes people do you know, spend a year or two or residency apart and try and meet back up. But at the same time, um, for some of the single ones, they also had the is this city, uh, do they feel that the city is a good single city to live in? Because I know that I would go to some interviews and talk with people and they say, yeah, you know, I just, this city just doesn't seem like they have uh, a very good single scene. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, to a certain extent, you know, when you're the resident age, a lot of times there, a lot of people are trying to make sure that they find a person to meet up with or if not they're just at least you know trying to still have a social life outside of outside of work um i know of at least one person who it was important that uh the tinder scene be uh a good a good one for them i you know who am i to judge (laughs) people meet on tinder right for sure and then the counterpoint to that is a number of folks have sacrificed for their uh, medical school experience and so they're maybe looking for other dimensions of their lives to fill out in the residency time frame. I would say as not having a lot of experience in residency only being what now maybe four months into it mm-hmm. um, that there you don't have a significant amount of time outside of work but that has not prevented a lot of the residents that I've seen from still going out and occasionally enjoying themselves. So I, I do think that probably location will still play a role, but you're, you're going to spend a lot of time at uh, the medical facility that you're at regardless. Well, and I suppose from that perspective, it's like, well, the time that I do spend outside of work should be, you know, good, high quality. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I talked to, I, I knew some people who... Um, well, I knew a person who, who uh, I don't think she ended up going to Utah, but she definitely ranked Utah high because um, she liked that it was right there 
next to the mountains and she could go out and hike and walk and ski very, very easily. Um, I think it was her husband that ultimately drew her back to Atlanta, but, uh, um, I think if it hadn't been for him, she would have, she would have pulled the trigger. Okay. Well, there'll be more of this. Uh, on future episodes of Night Float from the Short Code Podcast. I'm really glad uh, that you guys came, made the time. Uh, we should say that, uh, you know, Matt is, is uh, got off work this morning, went out for breakfast with his resident, uh, resident pals, and then came right here. So he's uh, remarkably coherent for somebody who is <laughs> working overnight. Feeling good. Good. Yep. And uh, Desiree, I don't know what you were doing before you came here. I have had, this is my third day off. So I took Wednesday through Friday off. This is my first vacation since the beginning of June. Nice. Well, I'm I'm, giving it to us. Yes. (laughs) I'm glad. I'm glad that you, uh, I'm glad that you joined us. With that, we'll wrap up this episode of Night Float. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine student government and ongoing support writing in humanities program and produced in cooperation with the medical student counseling center your thoughts on today's show are of paramount importance so send this send them to us at the shortcodes at gmail.com or leave us a message at 347 t 347 short ct <laughs> see you next time